You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hi, it's Julie. We continue our celebration of Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month by featuring Asian leaders. I am honored to introduce Hiro Hayakawa. Hiro shares his journey of how he got into the alcohol beverage industry in Japan from serving at a bar to joining the Centauri team and then moving to the U.S. with his family to join the newly partnered Beam Centauri. Hiro shares his experience as an immigrant to the U.S. and what he thinks makes America so special and fosters innovation. Sit back, grab your favorite House of Centauri highball and get inspired. Hero, thank you for joining us today on Served Up. Good afternoon. Uh, thank you for having me. Hero, we are celebrating Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month of May. So we really wanted to hear from you and your experience, because I know you um, were born and raised in Japan. You had a career there, and then you came to the States. So let's start with the latter. Tell me about where you live now and what your current role is. Yes, uh, I live in Westchester County, New York State, uh, which is one of the northern part of uh, New York City. Uh, I live with my wife, uh, my son, and my daughter. My current role is senior manager of on-premise portfolio manager. So oversee on-premise portfolio manager. Uh, we have around 67 OPPM across the states in over 20 different cities. Wow, that's a big that's a big role. Congratulations. Prior to that, what were you doing in your previous role before you moved into this one? Yeah, I just got this job uh, uh, last month. Before that, I led Metro New York on-premise team, uh, Beam Santori. So there are nine on-premise portal manager, four channel manager, uh, one uh, training from uh, Santori Holdings, 14 people. I led uh, 14 people, which is the biggest on-premise team, Beam Santori which was the last one. And I did that job in two years. Uh, before that, uh, I was an OPPM, uh, on-premise portfolio manager, uh, for two years uh, since 2016 to 2018. That was a previous, previous job. Okay, so was that your first role since coming to Beam Centauri? No, uh, I got the first job uh, when Beam and the Centauri March 2014 the, the in Chicago. The previous headquarter, Deerfield office. I was a global brand manager of Midori and Melon Liqueur for two years over there. And I was transferred to this OPPM job five years ago. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. So you, when you came, you had the global manager job, brand manager job for Midori, and then you went into the on-premise role. That's fantastic. So tell us, when did you first come to the States and what did you do prior to that? So I came here 2014 July. That was the first time I came here in the United States. 
Uh, before that, uh, I was in Japan, Tokyo, again, global brand manager of Midori for six years. Yeah. So Midori is the, at that time, uh, most important uh, international liquor outside Japan. In 1978, we launched a product in the US. Uh, so before uh, Santi Whiskey became the biggest international liquor, like 2012, 2011. Before that, Midori is always the most important international liquor for Santori Holdings. Mm, okay, so that's new news to me. So Midori was part of the Santori portfolio. Did Jim Beam distribute Midori even before the merge, or was that an addition after the merger? After the merger, so Midori was distributed a different uh, supplier here in the United States before that. Okay. Yep. That's, that's fantastic. So when you first came to the U.S., that was when Centauri and Beam merged and your role continued from Japan as a global brand manager of Midori. Yes, that's correct. And that was in Chicago. That's correct. Have you come to the United States many times before moving here with your family? Not that much. Uh, the first time came to the United States for business trip, year 2010. That was the first time to come to United States. Since then, once or uh, twice a year for a business meeting with previous supplier or the market visit or market research. Yeah, so only around less than 10 times for the business trip, less than a week every time before that. Yeah. Wow. So what made you make up such a big life-changing decision to bring your family from Japan to move and relocate to Chicago? Yeah. So they always, uh, I wanted to uh, work outside Japan and especially uh, work in the local company. So uh, United States or UK or Australia, I was always asking my boss to take any type of opportunity. Um, so it's kind of Jim came too. So I was so excited. And uh, also, yeah, that was a, a big decision for me because at that time, my my wife uh, was pregnant, I think six months. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so uh, whether I had to uh, welcome my wife uh, to uh, give a bath here or uh, mm -hmm. uh, waiting on uh, my wife and coming like uh, one or two years later, uh, but we decided to welcome my wife to the joint right after I came. Oh, wow. That's yeah. a big, that's a big change. How did you acclimate into the American culture? What did you miss most about Japan? And what did you appreciate most about living in the U.S.? United States, uh, pretty much diverse uh, society, and they welcome different and new and creative idea. So that's a driver of uh, power over the United States, always uh, leading a world. The people in the United States welcome me. And I also appreciate my opinion, which is very awesome. It's great. So that's, uh, I think, a beauty of the United States. The, the missing thing uh, in Japanese culture or Japan, yeah, definitely uh, my family. Yeah, mm -hmm. It's difficult to meet my family uh, frequently, especially after COVID-19. We didn't have any chance to go back to Japan last two years. Um, yeah, we miss family. Yeah, that's the only mm -hmm. thing. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. That's always hard. So do you have a big family back in Japan? Yeah, we have big family. So in a different region. So my uh, father grew up in Niigata. My mother grew up in Nagasaki. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up in Nara. Uh, my wife grew up in Nagoya. So basically four different regions. We have families. Um, uh, when we go back, we usually busy to 
hope in different places to meet our families. Oh, that's so nice. And how long were you with Suntory in Japan? I joined Suntory year 2000. Time flew only 21 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Only 21. <laughs> <laughs> so you joined them and you must have been a young guy at that point. Was it just coming out of college or what was, was that a big first career for you? Yeah. Uh, right after college. So, uh, so I was a bartender in the college days and part-time job in Osaka for two years. And at that time, I had a chance to meet a sales rep from different suppliers. And uh, I was impressed by the sales rep from Santori, always uh, cheerful, uh, always uh, I enjoyed the conversation with him. Uh, he came to the bar and uh, checking the quality of a Santori beer mm-hmm. and uh, talked about the new campaign, new products. And uh, basically having a conversation, it's, we became uh, like a, a good friends. And uh, also he had a great relationship with the old staff and the manager. And uh, I talked about the career and he mentioned that the country is a good place to work. And I decided to take an interviews, the series of interviews. I'm lucky to get uh, this job uh, year 2000. Yeah. It's very similar experience to in the States, how people get in the business, right? It, either as a distributor, working in the bar and, and networking and getting that opportunity. So it's interesting that it, it was the same in Japan. Yeah, I, I, I would say not the oral people. I, I think I, me is I'm a rare case to take that job in the route. Usually right after college, they are recruited to the uh, big organization, the big companies, including Santori. So I don't hear the same type of story that I experienced uh, in Japan. But the, yeah, I, I'm surprised to see uh, and hear the same story in the States that I experienced, yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's just unique to your experience. So coming, I mean, you've, you've done different roles, obviously. So it sounds like you were a bartender, you did sales, right? Was that your first job when you were working with Suntory or? No, I wanted to take an on-premise job right after bartending because that was my passion, but the, I was assigned sales planning and mm. field marketing. That was a fast job in Nagoya sales branch, uh, which is a uh, third biggest uh, city in the sales branch in Japan. Yeah. Also that is a great sales branch. Uh, we share uh, one floor, a big floor. Uh, there are 100 people uh, working together uh, from a different function, distribution, on-premise, off-premise, and a chain, a local chain, also um, the channel managers and sales branding team. So I can see uh, different type of functions uh, in mm. the REA. So that's, I learned a lot. So sales planning is the um, how we're going to forecast or making a plan with each division, 50%, a 50% job with the field marketing, going to the account, doing a sampling, um, and then talking with the consumer, talking with the customers. So uh, I did uh, four and a half years over there. So sales planning was kind of the biggest, the first start uh, within the company. And then where did you go from there? Did you go directly to Midori brand management or did you do something in between? Yeah, after that, I was uh, asked by HR, Sanjay HR. Uh, the next step is commercial marketing job for all off-premise nationwide uh, based in Tokyo. So I kind of oversee off-premise strategy with my senior, my manager. Yeah, that was a big change. 
because I didn't have a direct experience in off-premise sales, but I was asked to uh, think about the campaign or think about the programmings uh, for off-premise nationwide. And then what was the next role from there? Next role, yeah, I wanted to change a career uh, from a, a domestic department to the international department. So yeah, I went back to the uh, university mm-hmm. to study uh, MBA. And uh, uh, after finishing a one-year program, I came back and then take a, a Midori brand manager job. Oh, Okay. Very interesting. I mean, I feel like you've hit every function of this business. So you did first the bar, which I think is very important because you're right there in the front line, then commercial strategy or sales planning, field marketing, off-premise. Now you're in a global international brand manager role for Midori, and then you come to the United States and then you're in, in Chicago. Okay, so I'm sorry, we're going back and forth, but I'm trying to put it all together. So that's your first job in Chicago. Beam and Suntory had just merged. What was that experience like for you? That was a a big change for me. So for example, a lifestyle and the work and life balance, everything, a big change. So yeah, I had an interview or uh, the meeting with uh, people from the United States uh, in Japan a couple of times. And uh, I realized that they spoke very slowly to me. <laughs> when I came to the, the United States and joined the meeting for the first time, I, basically I was not able to catch up with their <laughs> speedy conversation. Uh, that was a the big culture shock and also uh, shocking news to me. <laughs> so because mm-hmm. I realized that I learned English again from um, mm-hmm. basically scratch uh, for the US version because mm-hmm. people pe- speak uh, pretty fast, of course, mm-hmm. and uh, using a slang, using a joke, uh, mm-hmm. many different idioms I have I've never encountered in Japan. That was the one thing, yeah, the biggest uh, barrier to adjust here. Mm-hmm. So you noticed that when you were doing the interviews in Japan, they were speaking a lot more slow and clear for you. And then you come and that's not the reality. Everybody talks as fast as they can. Yeah. Also in Japan, meeting means basically uh, face-to-face. Meeting means meeting a people and then seeing their face, facial expression. So body language. So the verbal communication and also everything intangible communication, including mm-hmm. a meeting. But the I was invited to meeting and I went to the meeting room and the speaker speaking from a phone. Uh, that's mm-hmm. normal right now for me. Uh, but mm-hmm. at that time, really, I was, uh, again, shocked um, mm-hmm. how I can interpret the hidden message or implication from uh, uh, their body language. But here, maybe different communication style, right? More like explicit communication style versus implicit communication style in, in yeah. East Asian countries. So so the, the communication has to be more explicit uh, rather mm-hmm. than implicit. So I had the very much uh, time to struggle for the communication style, adjusting communication style. Yeah, I can imagine. How did your family and your wife adapt and your your kids? Because at this point, she was pregnant. Was that your first child that she was pregnant with? Uh, second child. Second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first one was uh, at that time, six years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he was uh, he was okay, uh, like a sponge uh, to absorb everything, and uh, he quickly picked up the uh, languages, and they also made our friends. I think three or four months after that, he started speaking English, so that was impressive. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's great. The kids learned so quickly. And, and then your second child was born here then. So that must yeah. have been a big experience. Yeah. So that was a uh, yeah, big experience for us. So medical, let's say insurance system, also the system, medical system is different. Uh, so I had to register, of course, uh, medical insurance and the, the over functioning silo. This is a hospital. This is a doctor. This is an aftercare. So I have to register a different way, but it's not one-stop service. <laughs> that was another learning for us. So every time we've been there, we learn. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I know in, in Asia and, and specifically Japan, everything is maybe a little bit more efficient, right? So you go to one place and everything's taken care of versus going to many different places. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but the, the beauty things in the United States is the every function has a specialist, right? So that's uh, the that's thing. So if we go there, of course, taking a time to register, but the service is always uh, beyond the expectation. Mm -hmm. um, which is more like in Japan, we nurture more generalist. Uh, so if we go the one-stop service, so we can meet, but the more like general service, but the United States going to the uh, different function, uh, but the, we can meet the uh, specialist over there. Yeah. Yeah. That does make sense. And so now you're in Chicago, global brand manager for Midori. What, how, tell me about the transition to take you to New York. Was that the next transition to, to lead on or be an on-premise manager in New York? No, before that, after Midori market job, uh, I was uh, a little bit six months Century New York team. I was involved in the uh, selling a Century beer in the United States. The six months after that, six months after that, I was assigned job in the OPPM, on-premise mm. portfolio manager, for two years. Two, after two years, I was leading on-premise team. So how was that going from now you, you've moved your family again from Chicago to New York City, and now you're working in this leading on-premise. How was that transition for you? First of all, the city is different. So more diverse, uh, more wider range of coverage. Uh, so if you go to the downtown, midtown, so more like a corporate and then going to Brooklyn, uh, more local people, more hipster places. If you go to Queens, uh, more diverse society and the Bronx, um, of course, different city. And Westchester, Long Island, uh, people living over there, uh, more neighborhood. So I was surprised more diverse society, uh, Metro New York, which was my first impression. So the changing the marketing job and the sales job is a uh, bit tough for me because I've never had experience directly selling a product. So I have to learn uh, the three-tier systems, first of all, and also the what kind of a price strategy we have in Metro New York. And every month changing uh, the price. So I have to run a uh, price list every month. And also every account has different sales rep from a certain one splits team. So I have to meet and greet every time, along each other and what is a goal each other. So more like a magnitude of uh, collaboration with the people, it's massive as being a sales rep. That's a great point is the collaboration. Sometimes I get alerts from my Outlook now because they have all the analytics and they'll say, you've collaborated with 500 something people. And I'm like, how do we even manage? But you're right. You know, and I think in this industry, we touch and collaborate with so many people. And I know in the field, it's difficult because you've got a universe of accounts, you have your distributor partner and, and a lot of in between. 
And how was your interaction with the customers and, you know, just getting the hang of on-premise? When I was assigned this job, uh, I was asked to look after Japanese account and the Asia account uh, plus Japanese whiskey kind of ambassadorial job. So uh, I didn't have any account list <laughs> when I got this job. So my boss was John Holm. So now uh, my new boss again, John Holm. So mm-hmm. uh, we look at the data. So what kind of things we have to do? So leveraging a Japanese whiskey, fame, uh, and also reputation, that was our a, a, a first strategy. We look at the data, all our Michelin star restaurant, uh, the hotel restaurant, and the hotel bar, uh, all Japanese whiskey account. So uh, first, first of all, I tried to get familiarized with uh, my routine and also sales activity. I started visiting a Japanese account mm-hmm. where I can use the Japanese and they helped a lot. So they connected me with uh, other Japanese community, Japanese people, influential people. At the same time, some influential Asia accounts. So they helped me a lot as being a community mm-hmm. and they nurtured me. And once I get uh, more accustomed to, I started going to Michelin restaurant uh, and also the hotel bar. So first of all, I went to the bar. I look at the bar shelf and starting talking about the, my position and looking at Japanese whiskey. And if they are interested in Japanese whiskey, yeah, let's do a Japanese whiskey seminar. And then get a relationship and I get a relationship with staff and the manager. And then starting talking about other portfolio, mm-hmm. whiskey, uh, American whiskey, tequila, other products. Uh, that's what I was doing uh, as being an OPPM. So you really led with being Japanese whiskey brand ambassador. I love that you leaned on your Japanese community first, um, same language, right? You can really tell them your vision and and the value you could offer. And then you built those relationships within the Japanese owned communities. And I'm sure there's a ton of restaurants and bars owned by Japanese in in the New York vicinity. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Around over 100 accounts. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there are three different types of uh, Japanese restaurants. I would say the first restaurant is pretty local Japanese restaurant, starting since like 1980s, 1990s. The next things, next wave, I would say, is the more Japanese chain came to the United States, 1990, 2000. Uh, the, the third wave, I would say, is more like a people learned how to make a Japanese cuisine in America or a different country, and then brought uh, the idea here. They are not Japanese, but they knew how to make a Japanese cuisine with the essence of uh, uh, their local foods. So I would say there are three different types of uh, Japanese restaurants, I would say. So I kind of categorize and uh, I visited first wave, second wave, and third wave uh, with a little bit different strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I like that. I like how you classify that. Because I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, I think the Japanese food, right? It was always kind of the sushi portion of it. And now izakaya, that's just become so popular. And you see a lot of American chefs, international chefs that that really their niche is based on the Japanese food, but it's not necessarily Japanese owned. Yeah, that's uh, um, I'm uh, always uh, fascinated by the uh, American culture. Because people in America uh, take an idea, essence of an idea of a different culture, and then transcend to the next level uh, with their idea and the creativity. So, um, yeah, so Japanese cuisine is uh, evolving here, I would say, more than Japan right now. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, I'm uh, always uh, exciting to see uh, new uh, Japanese accounts, uh, but influenced by the local taste. 
How do you feel about that? It seems like you see that as a positive thing. And and I've heard the same thing from some of my colleagues and business people from Italy, right? Like how Italian food has really evolved in America, but in, in Italy, it really hasn't innovated very much. So you see it as it seems like positive. You You like that? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So people are seeking for the authenticity at the same time, something new that they are feeling uh, uh, they want to try, they want to uh, spend the time and the money over there. That's uh, always happening here, especially in New York, I would say. Yeah. That's, uh, I think, uh, human nature. I believe people are trying to evolve in the next level and level. That's uh, I can oversee from uh, Japanese cuisine culture here. Yeah. I'm, we see that so much. And, and I, I think this is such a sensitive time now that I think to your point earlier is what you love about the US and America is that it is so diverse and you can have diverse ideas and people will hear them and they're interested in them. Whereas maybe other countries that are a little bit more singular in the culture, you can't really get out of the box right? It's, it's maybe takes longer to, to innovate. Um, and with that in mind, now you're leading a whole team across the country, many different markets, many different states, many different cultures, and, and all driving on premise. What is your biggest guidance for your team to make them successful based on your experience and what you've gone through and how to service their customer? I always try to build a relationship uh, with a more mid-term and long-term. It's not the thinking about short-term. So how are we going to build the relationship over individual relationship, which means company to company? So how we can develop a relationship uh, with a, as a community, as a, I would say, family uh, to the next level. So mid-term and long-term relationship, which is uh, important uh, for the business. And then second of all, how we can build a brand build up a portfolio through their platform. So it has to be win and win. So it's not the you win, you lose. No. So as a win and win partnership, mm-hmm. how are we going to build our brands, their brand together uh, to the next step, long-term view? And number three, uh, it's more like a community. So how we can learn each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometimes great things happening in Arizona. So how we can learn, how we can adapt that success story in New York Chicago, Miami. So I try to make a, a community and also platform to learn each other and apply the the other success in their local market. And that's I trying to I, I want to try to do. That's a really great three steps. So relationships, building long-term relationship, building a mutual brand between the brands at Beam Centauri and as a company, as well as the customer, right? And so it's a win-win and third community within all of your teams so that you share best practices. In addition to that, so uh, I mentioned uh, to my team, OPPM team, is that the, we are a demand creator. So on-premise is a special occasion. People try brands, acknowledge a brand. So once they experienced the great things over there in on-premise. So they became a fan of a brand. And then they spread the word of mouth. Uh, they put in social media. And eventually, they became a fan, brand fan, loyal loyal fan. And they started buying a product in on-premise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a kind of virtuous cycle. So starting from on-premise, 
going to be eventually off-premise to mm-hmm. start purchasing a product. So that's uh, our ultimate goal, being a demand creator. Being the demand creator. Yeah. Yes. And that's always been the same, right? Is the on-premise is what builds the brands. It gives the word of mouth and, and to your point, creates that demand. So what do you envision with the return of on-premise taking this role as we get we start moving out of this pandemic and markets start opening? What is your vision of the on-premise? What do you see changing, staying um, for the next five years? I think people appreciate the, uh, the moment in the on-premise more than ever. So they uh, really wanted to go back to the on-premise and interact with people, enjoying a food, enjoying a cocktails, enjoying a conversation with their friends and a family. On-premise is the most important place to remain their great memory with the interaction of the people with uh, our brand. So in a way, as I mentioned, three points. So establishing a long-term relationship with a customer and distributor. At the same time, uh, establish a brand in long-term. So always uh, I want uh, our portfolio in their great moment of uh, on-premise. Yeah, that's a real moment for the next five years. So if we do keep in mind that, so we can place our products every moment, important moment in on-premise. So people recognize a brand, people enjoy brands, and our brand affiliation is gradually going up, um, going up and people start buying products from off-premise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think that there's a new appreciation for the on-premise. You know, I know me personally, I, I've always enjoyed eating out and visiting my customers. And when the pandemic hit, you realize what a special treat that was to be able to go out anytime. And it's such a big part of the community. And, you know, we have so many people that are dedicated to that part of the industry. Well, we thank you so much, Hiro, for sharing your story. I love um, to hear all the different multiple countries, multiple functions within the supplier universe. And I think that it's really great to have you here representing Beam Centauri in the U.S. and spreading your success of what you brought in New York across the country. And I think the whole team is really proud and, and happy to have you lead that. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for having me and uh, giving me opportunity to share my story. I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, looking forward to listening on my version. Very good. Well, thank you, Hero. You take care and we'll be in touch soon. Thank you, Julie. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!